1: We're your hosts, Brendan and Catherine. Welcome back to Detour to Neverland. Today is episode number 294, where we are going to continue our storytelling series with part three of the Pirates of the Caribbean.
0: But before we move on, we are getting ready to go on our Disneyland trip later this month. And we could not have done it without help from our friend Hannah Little with Creating Magic Vacations. She specializes in Disney vacations and her services are 100% free to use. Disney pays for it. You don't have to, and you get all the benefits of having someone in your corner to book your dining reservations, to make sure you're getting the best price, and to help you along the way to make sure that you're setting up for the most magical trip ever. So head over to littlebitofdisney.com, fill out that free quote portion. Hannah will be in contact with you there to get the ball rolling, get you some of that pricing information that you need, and then you can take off From there. So again, it's a little bit of Disney.com war. Hit the link down in our show notes, and it'll take you directly there. So today is part three of Pirates of the Caribbean storytelling series. If you've missed parts one and two, probably suggest going back and listening to those. Our focus today is going to be on all of the different versions. So we've been focusing on the Disneyland version. So we're going to start talking about how did they get them into these other parks? What are the stories behind there? Then we're going to talk about the ride moving over to the movie franchise, and then we'll end it up talking about the future of the movie franchise, how the movie franchise has now went back and retroactively impacted the attractions, and of course, that's where we'll talk about Shanghai, which now, I feel like when people talk about pirates, like, Shanghai set the bar.
1: As far as?
0: Just Everything.
1: I mean, it was really cool. I watched a ride POV for the first time of Shanghai, and we'll go into all the details later in the episode, but it was awesome.
0: It was awesome. So let's start with how they got it. We left off kind of in its final form of how Disneyland got open, what took place, what the story looks like from that standpoint, and obviously filling in the gaps. It was a massive success. It brought in so many different fans. It immediately became a lot of people's favorite attraction. It's kind of hand-in-hand with Haunted Mansion. We've kind of been playing with this idea throughout the previous two episodes, is that they're done very similarly, but also so differently. And I think fans early on in Disneyland really appreciated the way that both of them told a story, and it kind of laid the groundwork that Okay, moving forward, as we expand in the theme park industry, these are two things that have to go with us. And that brings us to the Magic Kingdom in Walt Disney World. Next thing that's up on the docket, we've talked about that this was a big project that they were working on throughout this entire time period. And they originally planned that Pirates of the Caribbean was not going to be part of Magic Kingdom.
1: And I think it's for a pretty funny reason they thought geographically because Florida was so close to the Caribbean that people would just have no interest in a Pirates of the Caribbean attraction.
0: And we have shared that fact before, and it's come back in episode number 198, actually, Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. We'll tie that together in just a second. I also heard this same quote because that was a quote from Mark Davis. Mm -hmm. He said it was geographically too close that it's actually now they go back and they interpret it differently, and they're saying it was too close to Anaheim to put the same ride in the same country. And so it was taken out of context where people thought he was talking about it was too close to the Caribbean when he was actually talking about Anaheim.
1: To me, that almost doesn't make sense, because they brought so many other things from Anaheim to Walt Disney World and to Magic Kingdom, I mean, could that really be what he was thinking?
0: Who knows? Honestly, I mean, I wish we could go ask him right now, but we can't. But it's very interesting that now we've seen that quote interpreted two different ways of what what is Orlando too close to? Is it the Caribbean or is it Anaheim? Is it both?
1: But I guess ultimately it doesn't matter. Ultimately, it just wasn't supposed to be in Walt Disney World.
0: And in its place was supposed to be this project that Mark Davis was leading up called the Western River Expansion. And that was supposed to take all of the land that's available, both where now Big Thunder Mountain and Splash Mountain are, but also heading all the way down into Pirates of the Caribbean, and Western River Expansion, as the name suggests, was also a boat ride. So for that reason, it took precedence over Pirates of the Caribbean. Again, we talked about this in much more detail back in episode number 198, so I don't want to rehash all of the details that go into that, but essentially it comes down to due to budget and due to public outcry, they had to bring pirates to Magic Kingdom. It was such an instant classic when they did the New Orleans Square expansion and put it in that basically people said, I'm not coming to a Disney park and not riding Pirates of the Caribbean.
1: Which is so telling to just how important and how well received this ride was, I think.
0: Oh, for sure. I mean, just it's revolutionary, both in its animatronics, but in the way that it tells a story, it mixes, like we've previously talked about, all of the kind of highlights of this era of animatronics and song and boat rides and getting people (laughs) through, you know, and it's something It's a completely new intellectual property it had all of the right recipes for success and again I know we're going to keep saying this but I think it is so worth just like repeating this over and over again how they were able to create two classics between this and Haunted Mansion basically simultaneously with pretty much the same group working on both of them is nothing short of remarkable
1: I mean, they were the power team. Is it remarkable? I mean, that's like saying Simone Biles going, you know, to the Olympics and winning is remarkable. Is it? I mean, they're just that good, you know? But to do
0: it on both of them, I think is just, it's crazy.
1: They're just just that good. They were. But some people do think that Walt Disney World's version is inferior.
0: I do. I think that.
1: You think that.
0: Do you think that?
1: I guess I think that. Again, it's hard to beat a classic.
0: But an interesting point to that is that I think most Disney fans will say that the Disneyland version between the two is the better of the two versions. And Mark Davis, who led both projects, actually thought that he was fixing a lot of the issues with the Disneyland version when he got to do it again in the Magic Kingdom version. And it's interesting the points that he pointed out of what he thought was being fixed were one... He didn't think that needed the second drop.
1: Well, no, that's not true. They couldn't do a second drop because we're in Florida and there were water level issues.
0: Okay, so it goes hand in hand. He didn't want the lift hill. You could have done a second drop, but you would have had to have a lift hill and he didn't want the lift hill involved.
1: That is true, yes. He didn't want a lift hill.
0: And secondly, he thought that the cavern... And the time that it took to get through the caves to get into the pirate area was too long. And a lot of times you will hear people say, well, the Disneyland version is better because it has the swamp scene. It has the longer cave scene. It has the second drop and it has the lift hill. (laughs) And it's funny because there you're seeing a little... Nick in the armor of Mark Davis that he kind of swung and missed on some of those.
1: Well, I wonder if it's just one of those things where, you know, you work on this project so much and it's probably like his baby and he was maybe looking at it from a more detailed or a more like scrutinized lens. You know, he was trying to be nitpicky. I think the reason why he didn't like the lift hill is because... It wasn't exciting. It wasn't telling a story. It didn't impact the story at all. So he just wanted to get rid of it so that you basically went story end and you could get off the ride and be like, wow, that was amazing. He kind of took the lift hill to be like, oh, this is dead space. People are going to think this is dumb. And I mean, I could see that perspective. I could see how. Maybe in a place as exciting as Disneyland, having dead space could be boring. But of course, I mean, like you said, we enjoy it. Most people do enjoy it. But I don't know.
0: The other thing that's insignificant about the Magic Kingdom version is it's the first dip into the toe of it being in Adventureland. And then we see every version after it being in some sort of an Adventureland in Shanghai, and I believe in Paris maybe don't quote me on that it's not in Adventureland but it's like their version of Adventureland Mm -hmm. and now I mean I think it's maybe a worthy discussion of does this story fit better in New Orleans Square Adventureland does it fit in both do you not have to make that decision what do you think?
1: I mean, I do think to a certain extent you don't have to make that decision because I think that the way that Disneyland does it in New Orleans Square is so great. And we kind of mentioned that in the last episode, how we were able to find a loophole almost with a history where the Spaniards did take over the French in that area of New Orleans. So historically, because that's what my brain kind of goes to, it does make sense. I do think also... Sticking with that same kind of history standpoint, it does almost maybe a teeny tiny bit fit better into the Adventureland in Disney World because you can barely clearly see that that it is a Spanish fort. Like that is what you are walking into. That's what the theming portrays. You get more of an area with that theming all the way really down to Pecos Bill. And it's kind of seamless. So I do appreciate that.
0: I would agree with that. I mean, I do think the Spanish architecture and it does serve as an excellent transition area between traditional adventure land, jungle cruise, tiki room, not magic carpets. At I, was gonna,
1: I was waiting for that.
0: Sunshine tree terrace it does serve as a nice kind of smooth... It smooths out the rough edges between there and Frontierland. Mm -hmm. Now, how will they do that when it's Princess and the Frog themed? Who knows? But I do think even in that case, that Pirates area, which is a full-blown area with Tortuga Tavern there, even though it's almost never open, it is (laughs) like that whole Spanish themed area. It you don't feel like you're disconnected from Adventureland and you don't feel pulled into Frontierland. It's just a nice nice and middle ground, I feel like.
1: It is. I mean, it is truly like its own section. And again, with Pirates being such a hit, I mean, it does kind of make sense that you would want to really capitalize on that as much as you can.
0: I've only eaten at Tortuga Tavern once, I believe, and I believe it was for a party night. I can't remember if it was Moonlight Magic or Halloween Party or whatever, but we just used it to like get an ice cream sandwich or something.
1: Yeah, I don't quite remember what we've eaten there, but I do agree. I don't know. I'd be interested in hearing if anyone has any luck there or if it's just kind of for show. I mean, it looks cool. It has a nice name. I can appreciate the theming, but... That's not really the main part of this.
0: There's one other part that I want to mention on the Magic Kingdom version, and then we'll move on, because this is obviously the version that we know the best. Yes. A big talking point throughout the queue is always when you come across the dungeon scene and you see the two skeletons playing chess. And many of you will know that that is a depiction of that they're at a stalemate, that if one guy moves one more time, his king is going to be taken out and the chess game is over. So they basically, because they didn't have a time limit on it, they are in a stalemate, and they both died waiting on that next move.
1: I feel like that's... You must have read something different than I read. What I read was that it's like the never-ending chess game. I don't know who it was, if it was Mark who figured it out, but there was a way, and I don't know anything about chess, so I could be completely making this up, but there's a way that you could put the pieces or the way that they were originally placed to where they could keep playing, but it would basically just keep going in circles. Like
0: like on checkers when you just go back and you get in the corner and you just go back and forth. Yes,
1: literally. almost. So the gag was kind of that it was a never-ending game. So they just sat there and died going in circles in this game because no one could win or no one... Yeah, I mean, I think no one could win, I guess. Okay,
0: so either way, either telling of the story, I guess we need a chess expert to tell us to look at the board and tell us what's exactly going on there, but they died playing the game. And if you want to see an Imagineer put their imprint on an attraction, this is it. This was <laughs> fully out of Mark Davis's head, and he even had a quote saying that He pitched this to so many people and he explained the joke to so many people and absolutely nobody thought it was funny besides himself. But But he did it anyway. But because he was the boss man, he still put it in there. And like I can just picture him just walking through and just laughing to himself. Nobody else is laughing. But I just think it's so cool that in these creative spaces, they're able to do things like that. And that's that's literally just a gift from him that sits there. And you can almost see, you know, that's part of his personality that's still with us.
1: I like to think that Walt would have found it funny, too. Probably. He loved little gags. I think that's why he liked Mark.
0: Well, I mean, and the other part of this is there is a quote from Bob Gurr talking about Mark Davis and saying, basically, Mark, he was fairly quiet, however... When he had a point to be made in a conversation, he would talk over anybody. He didn't care who it was, if it was Walt, if it was anybody. If he felt like his point was right in the conversation, he would not entertain anything else. And basically, Bob was saying that other employees would come in and be like, how do you ever work with Mark? Isn't he just the worst? And Bob was like, you know, you've learned after all these years that when he's so boisterous and so, you know, loud about a point, He's 99% of the time always right, and you just have to go with it.
1: Wow, that's a tough pill to swallow sometimes.
0: It's just so interesting to see their personalities of this classic group, you know, the Nine Old Men and whoever Alice Davis and all these people who worked on this. You can see little glimpses of their personality still come out 50, 60, 70 years later.
1: We've hashed out Walt Disney World. Let's go on to our next version Tokyo Disneyland.
0: So, Tokyo Disneyland is important for the historical reference because this is the last version that Mark Davis personally worked on. So, by the time that Tokyo Disneyland was starting to take shape and the Oriental Land Company was working with WED and the Imagineers to get everything hashed out to get the park open, Mark had actually already officially retired. From his full time position as an Imagineer at that point, however, he was still working on a contract basis for very important jobs, or maybe I guess a better way of saying is handpicked jobs of things that he wanted to work on. And he initially was not going to be involved in the Tokyo Disneyland version of Pirates of the Caribbean because it was just it was the third replica. You know, he kind of thought,
1: "What could go wrong? What, How can he mess this up?"
0: What could go? Th- yeah, exactly. And so the way that he described it was essentially WED put some young Imagineers in charge of it. They made some mistakes pretty early on. And there were also some cultural differences where the Oriental Land Company followed a pretty strict hierarchy. And a lot of times it was based off age. And so they had this gentleman working on the Pirates of the Caribbean attraction who was older in age And basically, the WED Imagineers and the other employees in the Oriental Land Company couldn't really challenge him on anything. And Mark was the only person who superseded him in age. And so when he came in, he was able to kind of take control and get it back on track. So it's kind of missteps by both the Oriental Land Company and WED really derailed it. And Mark came in. And again, the book is called that we get a lot of this information from (laughs) Mark Davis in his own words. So maybe there's an alternate version out there where he was very brash and, you know, clashing skulls together to get it done. But But it
1: didn't. That's not the depiction that it made it sound like in the book. In the book, it truly did just sound like a cultural difference, which is probably to be expected. If you're going into some of these international parks, that's a very well-known You know, part of Asian culture is you respect your elders, that the elders in any scenario trump everything else. You know, that's just pretty typical. So it's almost funny that they had to send the old guy in to get it done the way that they had envisioned it. And that's kind of what happened. They hit it off. I think they were able to see eye to eye because it was seen as being a more respectful relationship Again, coming from the old guy,
0: I would love to see who were the young Imagineers. Are they people that we know that kind of you know couldn't get it off the ground? Like, is it a young Tony Baxter? Is it a young Joe Roddy that go out there? And, I don't know and can't get things done. I'm sure we can find it out there somewhere. If anybody knows, let us know.
1: Yeah, that would be cool.
0: Um, but again, Tokyo Disneyland follows the same sequential story. You start out not in the Pirates area. They fall you into it based on a waterfall. And then you go through the scenes and it's set up pretty much the same way as the Disneyland. And then we see them do that again in Disneyland Paris, this time without the help of Mark Davis there. It definitely would have been Tony Baxter since he oversaw a lot of Disneyland Paris. So basically it's the same story. They, But they had more room in Paris than they ever previously had. So it's a lot more open air. The uh, ship scene is a lot grander, people feel like, because there's a lot more open space that they had to deal with. And the drop is a lot earlier as well.
1: So it just sounds like if it's not broke, don't fix it. Which, again, kind of makes sense based on kind of the outcry that they got from Walt Disney World. Maybe they expected international guests, you know, wherever it was, other parks to kind of experience the same thing if they didn't get a pirate ride.
0: Yep, And so we've touched on every single park around the world, except for two we talked about previously in Hong Kong. They did omit this attraction because they didn't feel like it fit with the culture of Hong Kong because that pirates are a real threat that they deal with. And so they didn't feel like it was appropriate to put it there. And then Shanghai, which they took a completely different direction on, which we're going to save till the end of the episode.
1: So really the next question that we have is, okay, we have this amazing attraction that has this long-standing history. It's well loved by everybody. They've replicated it four times. How do we take this attraction and turn it into a movie franchise? Because this is one of the interesting places where we get to see the ride comes before the movie. That very rarely happens.
0: And very rarely happens successfully is a very important distinction. Looking at you, Eddie Murphy.
1: I knew. (laughs) I was waiting for it.
0: And looking at you, (laughs) potentially Dwayne The Rock Johnson and (gasps) Emily Blunt.
1: No, that has to be good. It has to be good. Okay. It's Mary Poppins.
0: Looking at you, Kirsten Dunst in the Tower of Terror movie.
1: Okay, fair enough. Anywho, there's been a lot of blunders, and this one was done right. So the big things we have to talk about were who made this happen, and then, of course, we have to throw in our opinions a little bit. So if we're talking about main players, people who helped move this along, we have Gore Ber... Verbinski and Jerry Bruckheimer, who were their producers. And then, as far as writers, Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio, I love these guys because not only did they write for the Pirates franchise, but did you know that they're also responsible for Aladdin and Shrek? Shrek. Shrek.
0: A classic.
1: What masterminds. These guys are great together. So it was kind of hard to pinpoint, like, whose light bulb idea it was I'm sure there were tons of people who kind of came together and threw out this idea like let's make this happen but I think a lot of it does just stem from the fact that the attraction was just so popular worldwide like we mentioned it was successful everywhere that it went so of course it made a successful movie
0: and I think you can't understate how massively successful this franchise is Even the fifth one made $840 million for the company. And by nobody's account, is that a good movie? The first three I think are amazing. Fourth starts to fall off fifth, (laughs) you know, whatever. But I think that it's so important to understand that this was so important to turn around the live action movie business for Disney. If this didn't go well, We maybe never get a Mary Poppins Returns. We definitely never get a Jungle Cruise and potentially down the road, another Haunted Mansion movie. You know, there's so much that goes into it that uh, these were huge, gigantic successes.
1: And what's super interesting to me is that not only did they just take this pirate idea, because I'm sure pirates are not, I mean, they're not a new thing, obviously but they really did try to tie it to the attraction. And to me, that's what's the most interesting is not just were they able to create a very successful movie franchise with characters that are so well known, but they kind of incorporated the attraction into the movie before they did the opposite, before they put the movie into the attraction. Does that make sense? It does. So, we see things like the song, so they incorporate "Yoho, Pirate's Life" for me. We get to see um, Dead Man's Cove, kind of. This might be a little bit of a stretch, but when they ha- when they talk about the curse, right, and all these pirates, it's a never ending cycle. That kind of comes from the cove scene where you get to see all these skeletons doing these different things.
0: Why did they remove the mermaid?
1: Well, so something that I did learn, see, now you're just jumping ahead, but I guess whatever. The mermaids actually came as part of something from the movies into the attraction.
0: But then in, I know for a fact in Magic Kingdom, they took them away.
1: I don't know why they're gone. I don't have an answer to that. I'm just saying that's more so an influence from the movies Okay. than vice versa. I'm with you. But sorry, I don't have your mermaid answers. Um, we also see that the bayou and the houseboat can be seen in Dead's Man's Chest when they're looking for Tia Dalma's home. When they're kind of looking for her help, we get the iconic jail scene with Jack, where he's trying to. At first, he doesn't want to bribe the dog, but then he gets desperate and decides to bribe the dog. You get Gibbs, kind of representing the drunk man with the pigs when oh, Jack Gibbs first is finds so him. Good.
0: And uh, well, he does redeem himself, I guess.
1: And then you get the Dead Men Tell No Tales, which even ends up being one of the titles for the movies. And again, we know that that came straight from Mark Davis. So all of these things, I feel like they did a pretty good job of embedding it, not overly, but just enough to where you could say, oh, that, you know, I see that in the attraction or that came from the attraction, where I don't feel like it's cheesy or gimmicky or like they tried too hard that they were able to almost give us like Easter eggs.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that's a very tasteful way of doing it. And I think that's honestly probably the same formula that they're going to try with jungle cruise where they give you some iconic scenes. We've already seen in the trailer. They're going to give you the backside of water quote Mm -hmm. in a different way of saying it, but it's a nice nod to this is where this came from, but we are fully expanding on it. And I think that's, Kind of the coolest part about this is that if you date it all the way back to when Mark Davis started working on these characters, he developed short little backstories for every single character that you can find in Pirates of the Caribbean. They either have a proper name or they're just known as the pig pirate, you know, (laughs) but all of them have a little something to work with. And so who knows what that means for the future? You know, we're going to talk about it at the end about future movies that they're working on. But, you know, you could, in theory, get a story based on Carlos. How did Carlos end up in the well? And why is his wife calling him a chicken? You know?
1: Don't be chicken.
0: Yeah. So I just think that's the... That's where you see a lot of parallels between this and Haunted Mansion, is that there are a lot of characters... Each of them, we know just a smidge about their backstory. And with the right people in place, you can expand on those stories and tell something just fantastic.
1: So if we start to get into our own thoughts, if, like you said, we have all of these pirates, they are helping to create the experience of you are witnessing all of these you know, deeds that these pirates are doing, Why did they have to give us Captain Jack Sparrow? Why did they have to go that route instead of pulling from the attraction?
0: Well, and I guess I'm going to steal this quote from you as we were talking about this before we were on air. They're kind of all too dumb (laughs) to do it. You know, they're all depicted as that they're nasty and vile and there's not really much redeeming about many of the pirates that you see in the attraction. And so I think for that reason, they could, those, that's why you get the side characters. That's why you get the Gibbs and the, you know, the other characters that they kind of reference in the movie. But not to say that Jack Sparrow is smart. I don't know. Or not
1: vile uh, or all those other things.
0: But he has a redeeming quality and a knack for always winning after many failures in a row. Whereas I think it would have been a harder stretch to do that with the characters that they had in place. So yeah, I mean, if I was in the room when they first made that decision, I probably said, no, you have to pick someone from the ride as the protagonist of this movie franchise. But now we have the benefit of looking back in time and seeing that you couldn't have done it without Jack Sparrow.
1: That's what I was going to say. You almost needed... A character exactly like Jack, you needed him in order to keep the franchise going, to not make it a flop. Because you can't have a weak main character, Eddie Murphy. Again, we're looking at you. It just doesn't, doesn't work, you know? So, I agree. They ultimately did the right thing, but it is interesting to look at a room full of pirates and think you couldn't have made any of these guys the head honcho. None of them were smart enough or clever enough or interesting enough. I don't know.
0: So, if you've been on a Pirates of the Caribbean attraction in anywhere besides Shanghai, well,
1: even in Shanghai,
0: after we're the, still
1: not talking about Shanghai though,
0: but after the year of 2006, you will know that they have decided to include some of the characters from the movie franchise and putting them back into the attraction. So we do get Captain Jack Sparrow in three locations. We get Captain Barbosa. And then in some of the fog scenes, we get Davy Jones and Blackbeard. So I guess I do remember some chatter at the time. We weren't nearly as involved within the community whenever this took place. We, well, no,
1: I would have been in middle school. So, no. About
0: was this appropriate? should they be messing with a classic attraction like that by putting Jack Sparrow and Barbosa and and whoever else in there? Now, I think they did it very tastefully because Jack is always kind of the secondary focus in a lot of these scenes. Mm -hmm. He's just kind of, he's there. He's there so you can see him look cool and that you know he exists in this world. But he's not drawing anything away from these classic scenes of Carlos or the dog scene or the auctioneer scene. Like he he's just kind of there along the way.
1: Yeah. I think the big difference with adding in the movies into the already established attraction is that they did not completely throw everything out the window. They didn't say, Oh, this is going to be a Pirates of the Caribbean ride, we have to tell the story of Jack Sparrow. You know, we don't even get a lot of the other significant characters. You know, we don't see Orlando Bloom in The Pirates of the Caribbean, which I'm sure a lot of people are disappointed about.
0: Yeah, I was about to say, you kind of sounded like you had some disappointment in your voice. Maybe I want to say, dang, I really wish we had Keira Knightley in there.
1: Maybe we need her too. But I think what's interesting about them adding it in Like you said, it was kind of done, I guess, tastefully, where you're not losing the story or the nostalgia of the original ride. I almost think that they added them in just to kind of hype it up a little bit more. You know, the fog scenes and where we get to see, like, Davy Jones and things, they're not taking away. They're just kind of maybe scaring you a little bit or they're trying to add like that creepy element. And then everywhere that we see Jack, he's just kind of doing Jack Sparrow things like being mischievous, looking around a corner. He ends up with the treasure at the end, just showing that he always kind of gets what he wants somehow, but everything else stays true to the story.
0: Yeah. And I think that's the best way you could have done it. I agree. Let's talk about the Shanghai version because this is the only version of this attraction that takes its inspiration from the movies. And so it is not tied to the Disneyland version, I guess, in a roundabout way than it sort of is. However, I think there's a kind of distinction here where in the Disneyland version and all the other previous versions, I guess I should say, there's an element, there's a hard cut between the rides and the movies where the movies deal with curses and magic and kind of things that are not to be believed the ride does not cross that threshold at any point until they build the Shanghai version
1: yes so again it can still be loosely historical shanghai takes all of that and completely throws it out the window to give you a brand new experience. And again, what I like about the Shanghai version is it's telling you a different story. It's not just a retelling of one of the movies.
0: So the official title for the attraction is Pirates of the Caribbean, Battle for the Sunken Treasure. And we don't want to spoil it here in this episode. We plan to go to Shanghai someday, so we will get to ride it in person. I'm sure some of you are going to go to Shanghai someday, you're giving me a look like you don't want to go to Shanghai.
1: I just, we had never talked about this before. We're
0: going to every Disney park. Okay. And, but here's just a loose telling of it, is that most of this attraction takes place underwater, in quotes. And I don't know It if does that,
1: take place underwater. It It's almost like giving... Brendan gave air quotes in case you are wondering. It's almost like saying the voyage of the Little Mermaid is underwater. Like, you are underwater. You are supposed to be underwater. Okay. Sunken treasure, Brendan.
0: Okay. And it's following a battle <laughs> between Jack Sparrow and Davy Jones. The nice thing that I think about it, and again, this doesn't spoil anything, it ends in the same way as a nice nod to all the others. They're singing yo A Pirate's Life for me. And Jack has the treasure.
1: I mean, and just everything about the attraction was stunning. I think they did a great job. And I think, you know, it gives you that immersion experience factor that Mark Davis was always going for. You know, it really puts you into that place so that you can feel like you are part of this battle.
0: So I think here's kind of the opinion that I formed on this is that if they had not based this off the movies, if you took the auctioneer and you took Carlos and you took captain red and all these people from the attractions that we already knew and already loved and put them into this super souped up version with groundbreaking technology, it would have taken away from all the other attractions. So I think the hard cut to say, okay, this is now based on the movies instead allows them both to exist and both to be classics in their own way.
1: Mm. You know, I had never thought about that before, but that's a really good point.
0: Thank you, Catherine.
1: (laughs) No, but it's true because if Shanghai had this amazing Pirates version, then, you know, of course people like us, who appreciate the history and everything that went into the original, would want to keep that. But at the same time, with Disney's idea of always wanting to move forward, you'd have to wonder if they would dismantle the original for the sake of like the shinier new thing. So, yeah.
0: I mean, I think you can t- kind of see them do the same thing with Haunted Mansion. and I know people are rolling their eyes. But... <laughs> I always get all the different, there's Phantom Manor, Mystic Manor, whatever manor. They're all in the Haunted Mansion family, but as they progress technology, I like that they kind of distance themselves. They don't call it Haunted Mansion because then they'd almost be forced. People would say, oh, well, you see our Haunted Mansion in Disneyland. It's not up to par with the other ones. And they said, no. This is Haunted Mansion. That's Mystic Manor. That's Phantom Manor. And I think they can do the same thing here, Mm -hmm. where you still are preserving these attractions that if they ever take pirates out of Disneyland or Disney World, I think, in my opinion, I will riot. Because yes, there's a bigger, better, more souped-up version existing out in the world, but it doesn't have the significance. At this point in time, that these Wherever. The,
1: Walt, Walt liked pirates, so I like pirates.
0: Yeah. Now, there would be some people that argue that that same that logic only applies to the Disneyland one. It's the original. Magic Kingdom is a replica, so it doesn't hold the same significance. And I could, Which
1: I can partially foresee. I mean, if there was one park or one place. That you should never take it out of. It would be Disneyland.
0: Which we have sort of formed that same opinion on other attractions. Like we were fine with Tower of Terror leaving DCA because the original is on Hollywood Studios. Now, if you take it away from Hollywood Studios, we're going to have a problem.
1: <laughs> His face. Brendan's face is so serious in that moment.
0: <laughs> well, just saying. But, you know, replicas, I feel like there's not as hard lines around them.
1: I agree. So Any other
0: thoughts on Shanghai version before we move on?
1: No. I just think if you are not worried about ruining uh, the surprise or the magic or whatever, if you plan on going to Shanghai someday, then you should definitely go watch a video somewhere because it was super cool. My even, my jaw was on the ground.
0: Even though it was in Mandarin.
1: That That was okay. I didn't have to understand what they were saying to know it was cool.
0: So... Lastly, we just want to end with a discussion about future movies because they are still pulling a lot of their inspiration from the attractions to move forward with this. So we currently know that they are working on two Pirates of the Caribbean movies in development. The first one, originally we were told that it was being written by Paul Wernick and Rhett Reese, and those were the two writers from Deadpool. Now, when they first announced that, I was... So hype. Because Deadpool, you've never seen it, have you?
1: It's not my kind of movie. But I know what I know what I like.
0: But do you like Ryan Reynolds?
1: I know what I like.
0: Okay. Yeah, they obviously have a lot of humor, and Pirates of the Caribbean has, you know, it needs to include a lot of humor to move it forward. It can't just be all action. You need a Captain Jack Sparrow.
1: You need the same, like, the kind of gags that Mark had.
0: Correct. So, however, they only worked on it for, like, less than a year when Paul Wernick and Rhett Reese left the project due to creative differences. We don't know if their creative differences were with Jerry Bruckheimer, who is still producing these, or was it with Disney? Who really knows? But they did leave... And now the project has been taken over by Ted Elliott, who Catherine mentioned before. He was the co-writer for the original Pirates of the Caribbean trilogy. He left after the third one. And Craig Mazin, who wrote Chernobyl, which I have not seen Chernobyl, so I can't really comment on that. The only things that we do know about this movie going forward is that we believe it is Pirates of the Caribbean 6, insinuating that it is a part of the same world that the first five have been a part of, but we do know that Captain Jack Sparrow will not be involved with it. Now, this is just my opinion, and I know it's maybe controversial still at this point in time, but to the best of my knowledge, Johnny Depp has been absolved of wrongdoings. If there is information out there that still points that he is, you know, a bad person then I fully support the decision to not include him. But to the best of my knowledge, he is okay.
1: So are you saying there's the potential for him to return, or are you saying that's why he was taken out?
0: He was taken out during the midst of all the allegations. Yes. And Disney has kind of drawn a hard line that they do not want to work with him going forward. There was a story up there of Jerry Bruckheimer was basically campa- campaigning Disney, saying, "Even if he's not going to be the focus, we need to have him in of some sort of cameo to just to prove that we're in the same world that Captain Jack was in for five movies," mm-hmm. and Disney turned that down.
1: Hmm. I, I mean, I guess to me, it almost just sounds like a Star Wars kind of thing where. Even with these newer movies, now we did obviously get some of the same characters with Han and Leia and Chewie, but maybe it's just like in the future kind of thing. I mean, I don't know how, what kind of timeline they could be working with if you're dealing with pirates, but. I
0: don't know. I, to me, it's just a real shame because I think that's Johnny Depp's best role he's ever been in.
1: Wow. And you're a big Johnny Depp fan.
0: I am. And, again, assuming that he is a good person. If he's not a good person, then fine. Be done with him. Move on. But it's, uh, I don't know. I've, I'm not too confident that they will be able to pull this off. But this is the movie that we are pretty sure that Captain Red is going to be the focus of. Now, I am excited about Captain Red because it's rumored that Karen Gillen is going to portray her. She played Nebula and Guardians of the Galaxy. And then she was also in Jumanji, the redhead.
1: And you like her. I mean, everybody likes her. She's good at what she does. Yeah, Karen
0: Gillan is very good. So, now, I guess that's my point, is that Karen Gillan and Johnny Depp would be the best-case scenario. But it does not seem like that's going to come to fruition. Mm -hmm. The other movie that we know that they were working on is the one that the rumors have been swirling about for quite a while now that is going to be led by Margot Robbie as the lead actress and is going to be written by Christina Hodson, who Margot Robbie previously worked with for Birds of Prey, the DC film about Harley Quinn.
1: Have you seen that? No. Yeah, no, we don't do DC here. But, I mean, that sounds promising.
0: And that's kind of one that that might be the off that they need to go a completely different direction. So, I mean
1: away from Johnny Depp, yeah, and Captain Jack, yeah. That might be true.
0: If you had to pick one of those that you're more excited for, which one do
1: you think? Um, Red. I just think because that seems to have more of a tie to the attraction, and I like Karen Gillan more.
0: More than Margot Robbie.
1: I mean, I don't have huge opinions on these people. Okay. I was I, just curious. I mean, yes. Okay. You don't? You prefer Margot Robbie?
0: I I, I don't have huge opinions on these people. Well, you made it sound groundbreaking. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. But I,
1: don't I guess that's about it. That's kind of where we leave off with just knowing that Pirates has a very strong past history, but it seems like they also have a pretty strong, potentially strong Future, which is cool to know that we are, what, 60, 70 years into this, and they're still taking from some of those original ideas that we talked about.
0: And so that I think our kind of parting thought as to you as a listener and the whole point of this series is to make all of us better storytellers and to appreciate better story. I think the best way that you can do that is next time you ride Pirates of the Caribbean – Just let your mind wander about these pirates. What's their backstory? Why are they looking this certain way? Why is their facial expression like that? You know, create your own stories about who these pirates are and where they came from and what their vile and nasty deeds were, you know, that got them to this point. And I think that is truly where Walt and Mark would have wanted to take you is to allow a lot of lateral movement in your mind and in your imagination about what this all is.
1: Yeah. I mean, I can't really add anything to that. I think that's the whole purpose of any of this. And I think for sure the next time that we ride parts of the Caribbean, there's going to be a lot more for us to A, C, and B, just think about.
0: Yep. So if you enjoyed this three-part storytelling series, we've never done three parts before, let us know. Let us know your thoughts about, you know, how did this prepare you to ride Pirates of the Caribbean for the next time? Did we tell you information that you didn't know before or make you think about topics that you've never thought about before? That's what we want to hear. We are kind of eating our words. Long-time listeners will know in the past we've always kind of said, we're not vloggers. We've tried it out. We kind of like vlogging.
1: I know. Did we ever really try it out before?
0: No, I think we just always put that label on ourselves that we couldn't do it.
1: We did. And we are eating our words. We've been trying it out a little on our YouTube. And it is kind of fun. So we'll have to see what happens.
0: So if you'd like to check those out, we have about four vlogs up there from the past month. We would love for you to subscribe Leave a comment. Let us know how you like those. We're going to continue honing in that craft. Hopefully be good. Just as good at that as we are at podcasting, which is maybe only marginally good, (laughs) (laughs) but we'll be the best that we can be, which is important. Yes. So we thank you guys so much for listening. If this has you wanting to plan your next Disney trip, definitely reach out to our friend Hannah Little with creating magic vacations, little bit of or click that link down in the show notes she will make sure that everything is taken care of for you. She might even send you pictures of her dogs, which is always very exciting.
1: It's always a good added bonus.
0: It You put that in the list of services.
1: <laughs> we'll send dog pics. Yes.
0: So definitely do that. LittleBitOfDisney.com. And thank you guys so much for listening. We really enjoyed going through this three-part storytelling series for Pirates of the Caribbean with you. On Thursday, we will have another trip report with our friends Andrea and Sean. You might know Andrea from Isn't It Neat Boutique. Wonderful ears, many ears that she makes. And they're going to be sharing their return to Disneyland, Avengers Campus, the food they ate, the drinks they drank, everything. We're going to cover that in Thursday's episode. So I hope you can join us for that. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will chat with you real soon.